Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What's up, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Believe in Falcons. I'm your host, Will McFadden. We've got a great preview of the Week 2 matchup between the Falcons and the Rams on tap for you guys today. Joining me to break down everything from the L.A. side is Ryan Dirud, who is the host of the L.A. Football Show and just a whole host of other shows on the uh, L.A. Football Network, and I encourage you guys so I'll go check that out if you want any insights into what the Rams are going to bring into this matchup this weekend. But honestly, we're going to dive into a lot of all of that good stuff. Um, so I hope you guys stick around for that. Before we jump to my conversation with Ryan, I want to touch on something that a lot of you guys have been asking about, you know, and I, I kind of understand why it's not getting so much run uh, in the media because we tend to be a little bit more. I think understanding that just sometimes luck doesn't work out in your favor. And sometimes that happens for a really long time. It's week one. This is a new season. So as much as we can't shake everything that has happened to this fan base, to this city in terms of gut wrenching last second, how the hell did they do that losses? The team is not thinking about that. Arthur Smith, the coaching staff is not thinking about that. So many new faces are in this building that it's really hard to pin this on, man, the same problems are still here. So I'm going to kind of touch on why I think that they did what they did on those fourth down calls, kind of what I saw from the defense on second viewing and just did anything really change in terms of them going totally into a prevent defense. And that's kind of the reason why the Saints automatically came alive in the fourth quarter. Spoiler alert, no, I don't think that's uh, what happened. And I will kind of get into all of my thoughts before our conversation and preview with Ryan. Um, but first, let's take a real quick break. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports, contests, and events with first market odds and lines. Find reviews and news for every league, including Major League Baseball, NFL, NBA, NHL, combat sports, esports, and even golf. BetOnline continues to be the top online resource for all your sports information from live in-game betting, props, and futures. So head to BetOnline or use your mobile device to join today and make your first sports bet. And use our promo code BELIEVE50, that's B-L-E-A-V-5-0, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, where the game starts. All right, so what happened on those fourth down decisions, right? The first one, after the Saints' first touchdown in the fourth quarter to make it 26-18, fourth and two, you're at the 50. Cordero Patterson had just been stopped for only a one-yard gain on third and three. That one I kind of understand totally, right? You know, it's you're at the 50. It's a long two. It was a long two yards. If you go for it, you miss not only is your defense kind of coming right back on the field, but the Saints only did have a four-play drive before that, so it's not like they had just endured a 12-play, 14-play drive, but it was notable how kind of gassed I think a lot of the defense was in the um, fourth quarter, so that's something that I expect the Falcons to get certainly better at, as all teams do throughout the season, just with more reps, more game day, more intensity, uh, and their conditioning will certainly improve. But I don't I don't hate that decision at all, you know, to not go for it on fourth and two. And they pin the Saints back. I mean, the true failing in this game is that the offense had their opportunities provided by the defense. You know, the, the first chance for the Falcons to really put that game away came very early in the fourth quarter when Michael Walker stripped Mark Ingram of the ball and then it was recovered by Rashawn Evans deep in Saints territory. And of course, that was Marcus Mariota's first fumble. So that was the defense kind of putting the game almost out of reach and the Falcons offense kind of let them down in that situation. So a later drive, the very next drive for Atlanta's offense, you have a false start on what was a beautiful drive that got them down to about the five yard line, false start on Parker Hesse. They drive them or they move them back five yards. 
Now all of a sudden you're at the nine yard line and they throw two, two passes when they had been running the ball so well. But when you're in a second and nine, kind of in the red zone, that's not necessarily the best place to run the ball. So again, you come away with three points there. Two opportunities for Atlanta to put this game away. They didn't, but they felt that they had done enough. And that's kind of what Arthur Smith was talking about in regards to the last fourth down call, the decision to punt on fourth and one, again, right near midfield, where if they had gotten the first down, you win the game. They had used all of, the Saints had used all of their timeouts. The Falcons had made them do so. Cordero Patterson, again, was running the ball really well on that final drive. I was just kind of surprised how late in the game the Falcons were effectively running the ball because here's the thing. It's not like they just went three and out consistently on offense after the Saints started to make this a game. They were putting together drives, and I think that's why some people are even more frustrated at the decision not to go for it on fourth down because the play before they'd gotten, you well, not the exact play before because that was Marcus Mariota's second fumble, but the actual play that they ran two plays before, they'd gotten eight, nine yards, and they were moving the ball, but... This is another key thing. The Falcons ran, I think, 71 plays in this game, which is a lot of plays. You know, I don't know this to be the case, but I wouldn't have been shocked if the Falcons had kind of used up a lot of the stuff that they came into this game with. And the Saints are a good enough team to really make adjustments the second time they're going to see a look. You know, I noticed a couple of times the Falcons went back to a look that they showed in the first half and the second half, and it wasn't as effective. So... Saints are no timeouts. You're under a minute left. You have a chance to pin them inside of the 10, which is effectively what they did. But that's when everything, the worst possible things happened at the worst possible time. You get a penalty on the punt. So you move them forward a little bit. Then Jarvis Landry somehow sneaks behind your, your secondary, gets a huge play there. And, and effectively, they're right back where they started. Now, that looks really bad in hindsight. But Arthur Smith was just kind of playing the odds. You know, he if you don't get that fourth down at midfield, you're, the game is essentially over at that point, or at least you're conceding that you're going to give up the lead. Like there's kind of no question that that would have happened. Yes, the reward is you put the game away. And some people want to see that aggressive mentality and just like that, that the Falcons would have that aggressive mentality. It's not that they don't. Last year, I did the numbers. They had 24 fourth down attempts, which was about league average. It was kind of right there in the middle. However, they were 29th in converting those fourth down attempts. So you have a team that last year wasn't that great at fourth downs. Fourth and one. Again, no timeouts by the Saints and you're under a minute. If you can make them have to drive 50, 60 yards, if they don't give up an explosive play, the Falcons probably win that game. And you have to think that Arthur Smith just wasn't betting on on a big explosive play, although I get the argument that that's what the defense had been doing all fourth quarter, and he should have been expecting that. So how about that defense? Well, in the first half, it was very clear, kind of a really aggressive attacking mentality. Blitzes, although, you know, some of that still resulted in only four men going, so you can blitz without necessarily sending an extra guy. That just means you're dropping somebody like an Ade Ogundeji, who they did, into coverage at times, and you're sending maybe a Michael Walker. So you still have four, and you still have seven in coverage, but it's just the math kind of changes and the look changes for the quarterback. So they were doing a lot of that in the first half. They, they didn't really change that all too much in the second half, and even in the fourth quarter. They did not go all of a sudden prevent defense. What they did is they just started to incorporate, I think, a little bit more zone looks, and I think that that was in response more to what the Saints started doing. Second half, they started keeping the running back in for a beat or two longer to look for that extra rusher. They started to bring in a tight end and have more of a six-man front in front of Jameis Winston, whereas earlier in the game, usually they were opting for more passing options instead of more protection. What did the Falcons do? Well, they still kept sending guys. They just weren't as effective at getting to Jameis Winston because of the extra protection. The one sack that they did have in the second half it kind of looked like Alvin Kamara forgot to stay in and he went out on his route immediately and that allowed Michael Walker to get home. So it was more a mistake, I think, and the Saints veering from the plan they wanted to have in the second half than the Falcons kind of breaking through whatever the Saints had adjusted to. And that kind of, they never really did. They, they stayed in that attacking look, which they should have, which people wanted them to. But on the back end, I think that they 
started to give a few more zone looks. They wanted to keep everything in the middle. They had earned that lead. They wanted to make the Saints bleed clock, but they just kind of were dropping a little bit too far. And a lot of times that can look like prevent. A lot of times it's not true. Prevent is a is a very rare style of, of football to play unless you like truly are just bleeding out the clock. This was just kind of a deep cover three. It looked like to me, Shell keeping everything in the middle. Um, and I asked somebody who I really trust about this, and his response to me was, when you back up, you give it up, which that's kind of what I saw as well. Again, this doesn't necessarily mean it was fully prevent defense. It just means that they were so focused on keeping things in front of them that they were giving up a lot of ground in front of them. And what should have been maybe six yard, eight yard completions turned into 12, 15 yard completions. And all of a sudden you get a play like the Saints did, where in four plays, boom, 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 you're down the field and scoring a touchdown. That is not what you want to have happen defensively. And then on top of that, when the Falcons did go back to a man look, which allows them to bring a little bit more pressure or, you know, give the pressure a little bit more of a chance to get home if the Falcons kind of like their man coverage, which I think they should because they played it well on Sunday for most of the game. They can maybe stick to the receiver and not allow them to find a spot in the zone like they might against his own defense. So when the Falcons did go back to the man looks on those final few drives for the Saints, they had just the greatest play drawn up for these looks. Um, you know, AJ Terrell kind of got not necessarily picked. He did a really good job to avoid it, but having to avoid that extra receiver defender, I can't remember who, forced him to kind of be trailing Michael Thomas. And Jameis Winston gave him a, a great wheel route throw right over the shoulder on the boundary on like a third and three. That's kind of one of those you tip your cap to the offense. And I feel like this was just the perfect confluence of awful things to happen where you have a good adjustment by the the Saints offense, but then you also have them just kind of clicking and playing perfectly for a full quarter, which can happen. This is the NFL. These guys are all paid. On top of that, it's not like the Falcons all of a sudden just went three and out, three and out, three and out on offense. It just so happens that they kind of shot themselves in the foot one too many times in the situational moments. And that is what a lot of time the NFL comes down to a lot of one score games in this league, situational football. There's a reason why coaches are absolutely insane with this stuff. It's because usually you find yourself in a situation and the game is on the line and can you perform? But that's usually the, like one of the things that good teams are focused on. And I don't want that to get lost. We're sitting here nitpicking some crunch time minutes against a Saints team that I frankly didn't think the Falcons would be in much of a contest against. I'm going to have to reevaluate my opinion of this team because I really saw a lot of things that I liked out there, especially in the trenches. Drake London looked great. Cordero Patterson, like at times, I was like, wow, Arthur Smith is literally just taking his Derrick Henry game plan and just using Cordero Patterson with it. And it's kind of working. I mean, he looked like he was shot out of a cannon, had amazing vision. So I do think there were some real positive takeaways. I'm still really interested. I know everybody thinks DNP's is persona non grata right now. Guys, he put together a really great game plan for the first three quarters. I mean, Alvin Kamara was nowhere to be seen. Michael Thomas, outside of those two touchdowns, like he wasn't doing much for most of that game. They generated four sacks after 18 last year. Like, let's not focus too, too much on the final 12 minutes of a game in week one. Give them a little bit of time to get everything sorted out. These guys are smart. They came out and put together a hell of a game plan against the biggest rival that this team has. I think they've earned an opportunity to see what they can do against the Rams. I'm kind of really excited for this matchup now because it's going to give us more context. Everything, all the good we saw in week one may totally be a lie. They may be more like that fourth quarter team and we'll be talking about, hey, those three quarters start the year. That was weird, huh? Or they may do it again. And we may say, wow, you know, this team actually is doing what we wanted and they're playing well against good teams. Maybe they win, maybe they lose, but at least they looked really competent for three quarters, which is kind of what we wanted to see, right? So let's go now to my conversation with Ryan Dirud for this week's Falcons Rams matchup. Uh, it's really insightful. I think he has some great um, takes on a team that really disappointed, I think, in, in week one. So I'm curious to see what the defending Super Bowl champs have up their sleeve on a long week of preparation for an Atlanta squad that was really surprising in week one. So here we go. 
Very excited to be joined now by Ryan Dirud, host of the LA Football Show. He is here to help us break down everything Falcons Rams in week two. Ryan, how you doing, man? Thanks for hopping on. What's up, Will? Thanks for having me. Excited to to talk uh, Rams Falcons. Hopefully, uh, I guess both teams kind of need to bounce back a little bit, but hopefully the Rams being the Super Bowl defending champions can look a little better than they did in week one. So excited to get into it. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I would I would say that the um Falcons definitely posed a little bit of a different um threat than uh the Bills did, that's for sure. But it's exciting to rekindle an old NFC West rivalry. Um the Rams, I would say, have gone on to a bit more success than the Falcons since the NFC West days. But you know, I want to start off with what's the level of concern in LA about kind of what we saw in week one. Are people chalking that up to, well, you know, only three preseason games. It takes some time to really have everything click. The Rams defense, I think, looked great. And we'll get to that in a minute. Most of the problems were offensive. What What is the level of concern after that first game? Well, I think it depends if you ask fans or if you ask like myself who covers the team. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm not overly concerned. I mean, there was definitely some concerning things that happened albeit the offensive line looked very shaky. You know, you, we knew when you lost Andrew Whitworth, future Hall of Famer, he mm-hmm. wasn't going to be easily replaced just because you have a guy in the roster that they they extended in Joe Noteboom. Um, and he played well in Andrew Whitworth's stead. You knew he wasn't going to be Andrew Whitworth. You lose Austin Corbett. You draft his hopeful successor in Logan Bruss. Well, he is out for the season after an injury in training camp. So in steps Coleman Shelton, who basically has zero starts to his name after being an undrafted free agent out of Washington. So the offensive line, you knew there was going to be question marks and they showed those question marks on Thursday night. Now, the reason why I'm not overly concerned is because Buffalo, I think everyone would agree, has arguably the best defensive front in all of football. So they're going to give a lot of people fits. And so now we'll have to see how this Rams unit can progress and improve moving forward. And on top of that, you know, the running game never really got going. Cam Akers had mm-hmm. the tune of, of three snaps total. Uh, Daryl Henderson, you know, you know, did some decent things, but they never really committed to it. And then uh, Stafford just looked off with his receivers. Allen Robinson, only one catch, the new shiny toy for Sean McVay. Cooper Cup still looked like the best receiver in football, so that was kind of the one (laughs) bright spot. Uh, But Stafford just never really looked comfortable. They could never get in there with him. The play calling looked a little off. Um, And so, you know, to answer your question, not overly concerned about the team moving forward, but definitely saw some concerning things last Thursday that hopefully they'll get corrected uh, this week uh, against the Falcons now. I'm really, really looking forward to, and after one week, I mean, I think there's a chance that we get it like a, a Sosa McGuire type of race between Cooper Cup and Justin Jefferson this season out, yeah. out receiver. I mean, man, both of those guys are so, so good. And, you know, after seeing what Michael Thomas did to the Falcons in the fourth quarter, what Jarvis Landry did sometimes, I'm, I'm a little bit anxious about the Cooper Cup matchup for Atlanta, but you mentioned the Bills, you know, a lot of people do think that they have, if not the best defense, the best front seven. Um, mm-hmm. Atlanta looked like they could have a potentially good front seven, which is not anything that anybody thought they would hear two weeks ago. Um, because the Rams struggled so much kind of with protecting Matthew Stafford, and it looked like mostly five-man fronts, we know that, you know, Matthew Stafford is comfortable kind of spreading it out, having many mm-hmm. receivers on the field. Do you anticipate any adjustments from Sean McVay to, you know, help the five offensive linemen more so than he did um, on Thursday night? Or do you think they're going to kind of try to tweak this on the fly and maybe keep what they want to do and just hope that it improves with a little more, you know, usage? You know, I, I'd like to see some adjustments, but I don't expect a ton. Uh, unfortunately, you know, Buffalo got that pressure with zero blitzes in the game. Either, right. So that's also not a, not a great stat you want to see, you know, the most sacks in the McVay era given up basically, and, and no blitzes happening, or at least in the McVay Stafford era. So, um, you know, I, I expect to do a little bit more, like maybe some chips, whether it be from the running back or, or tight end on some routes, I think they'll, they'll really, you know, Sean McVay, what he has done a lot in terms of adjustments is kind of shorten the passing game with very quick mm. kind of out routes and just get the ball out of Stafford's hand quickly. Because a lot of the plays last week, Will, were just kind of like long developing plays that, yeah. that just took too long to 
to come to fruition. And and I, I didn't see the in-game adjustments from, from McVay that I would have liked to have seen, knowing that they were getting the pressure, knowing that staff and the receivers just didn't totally seem in tune. And so they needed to do some quicker stuff, which I, I expect they will see a little bit this week. But McVay, as great as a coach he is, uh, as much as I respect him, I, I think he's a top you know three coach in the NFL. He definitely has that pride factor where he kind oh, yeah. of – gets, nope, this is going to work. What's worked in the past. We won a Super Bowl last year. We're sticking with it. And so I wouldn't expect a ton of huge adjustments, but you know, I definitely think we'll see more chips from the running backs, more chips from the uh, tight ends and hopefully shorten things up in the passing game. So it just doesn't take as long to develop things. Yeah. I went back and I rewatched the, the Falcon Saints game specifically. I wanted to see what happened with their protection from kind of the first half to the second half when the Falcons were able to get to Jameis Winston three times in the first half, only once um, in the second half. And even that one time had similarities with the other times in the first half. And that is pretty much five-man protection. They had Alvin Kamara in the backfield out of shotgun, but he went out on his route almost immediately. And Mm -hmm. I kind of think that the Rams typically like to do the same type of thing. They'll give you that one running back in the backfield look, but generally he's going to kind of go out sooner rather than later what they did in the second half was start to keep Kamara in even Mark Ingram more on passing downs to leave him in as a blocker. Um, And then they got the tight ends uh, involved, but they also did what I expect the Rams to do actually spread the field out, make the Falcons kind of declare if they were going to bring an extra guy or not. And then shorter passes. It just so happens that the saints got the Falcons with several explosive passes, which they need to obviously clean up, but the Rams weapons outside of Cooper cup, You kind of talked Mm -hmm. about that. You talked, you know, about the running backs in particular. I think all fantasy players in America are pretty much aware that Daryl Henderson got 82% of the snaps um, for the running backs. But who else is out there for Matthew Stafford to rely on, be it a receiver, a tight end, or a running back not named Cooper Cup? Yeah, you hope Allen Robinson becomes that guy, which I I mean, he had a phenomenal training camp. So it wasn't mm-hmm. like, you know, you knew it was going to take a few games, actual game, because remember, like most teams nowadays, but the Rams don't play any starters in preseason. So, <laughs> right. so yeah, they get reps in practice, reps in training camp. The connection looks great between Stafford and Robinson, but you knew it was going to take a little bit of time to really get acclimated. I mean, even o- Odell Beckham Jr.'s, you know, first few games with the Rams, I think the first game it finished with a tune of like two catches for 12 yards. So it's not like this new thing where a new receiver maybe doesn't get peppered <laughs> right off the bat. Right. So Robinson, I think will be that guy. Higby's always been Tyler Higby. That is the tight end has always been uh, a safety blanket for not just Stafford. You can date that back to the Jared Goff days. And, you know, McVay does like to get his tight ends involved in the offense, especially what's funny. Well, if you look at the Rams over the McVay's tenure, tight end usage weeks one through seven is much higher than on the rest of the season. So I would expect Higby. I, I I think it's got to be something to do with defenses, maybe keen in on it more. Um, it could be more with the diversity of, you know, spreading the football around to different receivers and whatnot and, and just not needing to rely on the tight end as much. Yeah. So I, I don't have a pinpoint answer, but I think it's a little bit of combination of that. But mm-hmm. I would expect Higby to be used again in this game quite a bit. I mean, they only have two tight ends on the entire roster, uh, which is very low for most NFL teams. Uh, but Higby, you know, plays in line, plays outside. You can spread him out, does it all. So, and then in terms of running backs, I mean, Kyron Williams, the young rookie at Notre Dame, unfortunately, he's going on IR. So it's it's yeah. Cam Akers is going to have to get more usage. And here's the thing that fantasy owners will hate, and why I've said I'm not a I'm not a expert fantasy. I, I'm in too many damn leagues. I think I'm in like five leagues. But Same I told here, everyone man. this. It's, it's rough. It's it's too much. It's way it's too so many. I can't say no. I can't say no. But what I told everyone, I'm like, you know, take this for what you want in terms of, uh, like I said, not a fantasy expert, but covering the Rams, stay away from the Rams backfield, period. Because I can almost guarantee now, this week, Cam Akers will be your lead back and we'll probably get 80% of the touches and everyone's going to lose their minds again. Because like, well, what about Daryl Henderson? So I think we'll see a bigger usage out of Cam Akers to, to help in that passing game as well for Stafford. See, you say that Sean McVay sticks to his guns, that he's got an ego, and he's just out here copying Kyle Shanahan. What, what's he, what is this about? <laughs> when it comes to running backs, yeah, you're not wrong. Once, they got, um, once, once Todd Gurley was gone, it's just been this uh, roller coaster of, of uh, running backs. Oh, yeah. Uh, tell me about it. Um, well, we've got Cordero Patterson, so I, I shouldn't complain, I guess, anymore because, damn, he yes. looks good. Um, yeah, got him before, on fantasy, too, so I was happy about that. There you go. Um, before we get to to kind of the Falcons offense against the Rams defense, I want to finish up on LA's offense with Matthew Stafford. 
obviously the the four picks it not all of them were his fault you know obviously some tip passes things like that but what what is with the elbow kind of rumors in in camp you know all of that talk do people expect him to kind of be the Matthew Stafford of last year eventually and and if so how soon or is the expectation that he's 100% right now and that you know Thursday night was maybe just a little bit of a fluke game yeah, the expectation is 100%. I mean, the team said that, he said that. We can speculate all you want, but we have to trust the player and the organization. Right. And both have said, nope, not an issue. It was an offseason um, thing. But anytime he has a game like that, it's going to come up, obviously. But yeah. what I what I kind of remind people is back in November of last year, the Rams didn't win a game. They went winless in November. Stafford threw, I think, uh, nine interceptions in that month uh looked very very bad very off sacked a lot and they ended up winning the super bowl you know two months later so i think it was more of just a bad game all around bad play calling like just just a bad game period from the offense the rush the Mm -hmm. o-line stafford the receivers again outside of cooper cup so I, i from what i saw watching the game watching film even some of his missed throws overthrows it didn't look like an elbow issue to me it looked more of just whether it was timing, whether it was nerves, whether it was just Buffalo's got a damn good defense and they were in his face all day, which is probably the most biggest factor of it all. <laughs> so at this point, I'm not willing to say any any concern about his elbow, but you know, anytime a game comes up, it's going to get mentioned. So we'll, we'll obviously have to talk about it basically for the next 17 weeks. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's true. Good luck with that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, thanks. I know we had it with Todd Gurley and his knee two years ago, and now we get it with uh, Stafford's elbow. It, it never ends. It it those I just those are my least favorite stories. It's like, mm-hmm. all right, he's going to play through it, and yeah, it's probably going to hurt. But yeah, that's like, what do you that's want me to tell you? Say. They're not going to say. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, LA's defense. It obviously Raheem Morris um, is there. Big fan of him. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, have fond mem- memories of his time in Atlanta, but. The thing that jumped out to me the most in that Thursday night game was LA's defense. I was like, these guys seem like a Georgia defense, an Alabama defense, like a college defense with the way they were flying around the ball, like the attitude that was almost borderline on like impetuous and rude. And just like, Mm -hmm. I, you know, I was almost surprised that they didn't get called for penalties at, at some point. But then at the end of the day, they also give up 31 points and are on the wrong side of the, the score. How do you kind of, fit those two pieces together. Yeah. I mean, Raheem Morris, uh, love him as a coach. Uh, I, I think he'll be a head coach here sooner than later, but I he agree. definitely has instilled a culture out here in LA and, and a, a dog mentality. I mean, coach Henderson, the defensive line coach, you know, he has the dog work slogan that he has shirts made for it. And that's what the defensive line kind of their mantra is that dog work. So it's kind of now blossomed out to the entire defense. They definitely have that culture and usually they can back it up. Now against their against Josh Allen and company, they weren't able to. Part of it was you know being on the wrong side of some Matthew Stafford turnovers, and so they were given short fields. But you know, in reality, after those first few drives, and I thought they settled down a little bit outside of Jalen Ramsey. That was kind of the big mm-hmm. bummer issue, whatever you want to call it. You know, arguably the best corner in football, and now in four straight games dating back to the last playoffs. He has not looked like the best corner in football. Uh, you know, giving up a lot of yards. Granted, played really good receivers, but when you're the best right. in the business, you're supposed to lock down those good receivers. And when you see Mike Evans going over 100, Debo Samuel going over 100, Jamar Chase going over 100, and now Stephon Diggs going well over 100 and two touchdowns and burning him down the sidelines, that was almost the bigger storyline to me than the overall defense. Because I thought overall the defensive line looked pretty good. Bobby Wagner looked good in his first first game as a Ram. Ernest yep. Jones is a bright young linebacker who they're very excited about. I thought the the safeties looked good. Nick Scott, who's been kind of the unsung hero after taking over as a starter last year. And the other corners overall, I thought, played decent. So I think the unit itself is going to be fine. Uh, like I said, they have that culture. I think they have the talent. Really, it's going to come down to Jalen Ramsey. And if he is still that island-type corner that can shut guys down, or they're going to have to switch to a more zone-heavy scheme that gives him some help over the top because they can't rely on him to just lock down the best receiver in football, which we'll see next week, who I think is the best rookie receiver in football, former USC Trojan Drake London. So do you do you think that Jalen Ramsey would be matched up on Drake London? Because we just saw Marshawn Lattimore, you know, the Saints' top corner, kind of in that same you know, maybe if not the top, top tier, you know, your Jair Alexanders, your, mm-hmm. you know, formerly Jalen Ramsey's, those types of guys, probably in that second tier, um, covered Kyle Pitts for most of the game 
Obviously, Kyle mm-hmm. Pitts did not have, you know, a huge outing, two catches, I believe 19 yards. Drake London, on the other hand, did have a pretty big game and kind of looked like he could be that Falcons lead receiver if needed. Do you think we know that Jalen Ramsey does not mind moving all over the field, covering mm-hmm. whoever going inside outside? Which do you think should be the bigger priority for L.A. to slow down, Drake London or Kyle Pitts? I mean, that's a great question. Um, I would not necessarily saying this because of priority, but I would expect Jalen to be more on Drake London. When you have when you have a Bobby Wagner and you have a um, Jordan Fuller as your safety, I expect yep. those duo to kind of take the tight end position more uh, and and try to take away Kyle Pitts. So. I would expect Jalen Ramsey. He's, he, you know, he can play wherever he plays the star, the money positions. He mm-hmm. definitely can play in the slot, but typically he's been his best on the outside, which I think would be, you know, shadowing a guy like Drake London, who um, I said, I mean, as I said before, I, I love, he was so good at SC to me. He was wide receiver one in this draft and hopefully he'll really blossom Atlanta, but it'll be interesting to see how that matchup is in his return to Los Angeles. What I, I mean, so do you guys think that that with Jalen Ramsey specifically, like you mentioned that it's dating back a few games into the playoffs, it, has there been any sense as to why maybe it's just fallen? Is, is, is it a slump? Is it kind of he's he's always had this attitude, right? So I don't want to mm-hmm. say that he's finally started to like feel himself too much or, or whatever, mm-hmm. but he just frankly looks not like Jalen Ramsey at times on Thursday. I mean, that that long touchdown pass that he gave up, it looked like maybe he was trying to bait the throw and then catch back up to it and intercept it. But you know, that's not a risk I necessarily think you take when you're trying to break a slump. So what's going on there? It's a great question. And yeah, it definitely doesn't have to do the attitude. He's been like that his whole career. You know, you could point to a number of things. You look at, even some of the greatest corners ever, you know, Darrell Rivas, Deion Sanders, like a lot of them, when they hit 29, 30, you start to see a little decline. Jalen Ramsey's turns 29 this year. So, I mean, you could mm. maybe say it's something to do with that. Um, schematically, there hasn't been a lot of changes. Uh, he's always, since he's been here, he's been that island guy where he hasn't needed safety help over the top. You know, that that play specifically with Diggs, it, it looked like at first that it, it was like a blown coverage by the safety and they were supposed to have the back end. But then yeah. when you see Jalen Ramsey not get upset at all at anyone, you know, no, that was on him because you, he would be the first to be like, where were you? Like, that was your responsibility. And he basically well, just put his head down like, whoops, that was me. Casey Hayward had like a, a very similar play in in the game against Atlanta. It's the Jarvis Landry play on the final drive for, for New Orleans that kind of mm-hmm. moves them in position to kick that field goal where, you know, at, at, yeah, you maybe think that it's, a cover two and the safety is going to get that deep half. But then you realize that no, it's, it's man. And he's just letting (laughs) him get a head start to then kind of, again, undercut this throw and maybe make a play. Like both of those plays were so similar to me and and just Mm -hmm. so interesting because I was trying to figure out what exactly was the goal here. Yeah. I, I mean, I know there was that article that he came out and called Josh Allen a, a bad pick and a, and a trash quarterback. So maybe he was trying to put that on display that he didn't think he could throw it there. Mm. I don't think he believes that anymore, though, obviously, <laughs> because of what Josh Allen's done. But it, there's not one thing I can pinpoint on because it's, he had, you know, he was nursing a little bit of off, uh, you know, not, I want to say injury, but he didn't play a lot during training camp, uh, came back kind of late. So maybe it was just some rust shaking off, but I don't know. I mean, it's it's never good when when the the best corner in football all of a sudden does not look like a top five corner in football. So uh, especially because of the way their secondary is built, it's required of him to really be that top tier guy, or else they got to change a lot of stuff up just because they don't necessarily have the talent uh, as their corner two, their corner three. They haven't got good players, but mm-hmm. he elevates them and makes them better when he is Jalen Ramsey. When he's not. You see the youth, you see the un, unprovenness in guys like Robert Rochelle, David Long Jr., and guys that they drafted this year. Like you'll see that more on display if Jalen Ramsey is not Jalen Ramsey. So I don't know, well, like what to pinpoint as if it's age, if it's if it is cockiness, or if it's just mental mistakes, which that one looked like. Yeah. Uh, but hopefully, it gets it cleaned up soon. Otherwise, this defense could be in some trouble. Yeah, maybe it's just a slump. You know, sometimes players just go go through some some rough times. Um, but I hope. I another thing is I was going back and rewatching the the Rams Bills game and, and the Falcons Saints game. You know, an, Atlanta did a really good job, I think, of neutralizing New Orleans defensive line, which I consider to be you know very good, uh, kind of on mm-hmm. the level of Buffalo and and L.A. But I kind of can't help but thinking that L.A. is going to be much better prepared than New Orleans was because they just played a mobile quarterback. 
And one of the things that I don't think New Orleans was necessarily 100% prepared for was just how different Atlanta's offense would look with Marcus Mariota behind quarterback and not Matt Ryan. And Mm. that muscle memory of playing Matt Ryan twice a year for, you know, a decade is probably ingrained in Cam Jordan. And and they Mm -hmm. really got the best of uh, a defensive line. But how beneficial do you think it will be for the Rams defense just having seen some of these kind of like read option looks from Josh Allen, some of these you know, motions where somebody's going back could potentially be an option candidate, things like that that we saw Atlanta run against New Orleans. I mean, is is that really going to be in LA's favor that they just kind of saw something similar? I mean, I think it helps. Uh, I, I still think every offense has its own, you know, intricacies and, and wrinkles and stuff of that nature. And obviously Arthur Smith being, you know, former OC for quite some time and then, you know, tight end coach and, and whatnot. Uh, I think they'll definitely benefit from seeing it but i think it's 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 still a brand new offense to them right it's still right they haven't really even when they played you know tennessee last year there was wrinkles of the arthur smith offense but he obviously was the head coach of atlanta so it's still maybe they'll take some of that film too which they did not play well against and <laughs> and kind of stack that on what they did last week and obviously what atlanta had did all last season and this year but obviously the offense looks different this year than last year because of the change of quarterback so i think the advantage is still in Atlanta's favor and your guys's favor just because of the newness of it, the newness of the quarterback and whatnot. Now, whether or not Marcus Mariota can run it sufficiently against a guy like Aaron Donald and, and against these mm-hmm. linebackers and Bobby Wagner and hopefully Jalen Ramsey, we'll see. But yeah, I, I think they get a little benefit of it, but I think it's different enough where it's still, it's still new film study. It's still new work. It's still going to take a, a long, hard look at something very different than what they saw, you know, Thursday night. Yeah, that's fair. And and I mean, Buffalo's offense also kind of mirrors more L.A.'s and New Orleans a little bit where they do like to be in shotgun four wide outs, things like that. Arthur Smith's is almost, you know, kind of more like Baltimore's where it's condensed, mm-hmm. it's tight. They've got a lot of, you know, backs or tight ends moving around. So it is, you know, mobility at the quarterback position, but maybe that's where the similarities uh, end there. Let's yeah. get into um, a couple of just X factors, final thoughts, things like that for the game. Who's somebody for LA that we have not really talked about who may not necessarily be a household name? Like uh, Kyron Williams may have been a great example of a player that I'm looking for who we don't know much about, but could make a big impact on, on Sunday. Well, I'll start with one that you for sure won't know. Uh, no one will know, but Brian Allen starting center also injured in that last game. So he will be out. So you mm. have Coleman Shelton, who I mentioned earlier, who took over at guard because of the injury of Logan Bruss. He's actually going to slide over and play center now. And Trayman mm. Ankrum, formerly a seventh round pick out of Clemson, will now be your starting guard for the Rams. So an offensive line that already looked bad now has two new set pieces because of more injuries. So uh, like definitely... That a key factor there that isn't as exciting for listeners, but I mean, that's, that's a big deal when you now have a, a backup guard who became a starting guard now is your starting center and a third string guard is now your starting guard. So, um, that's one definitely to start with. Yeah. (laughs) So, um, you know, uh, other than that, offensively, you know, Tutu Atwell is a guy that, you know, Rams fan are probably sick of hearing his name, but he was the second, you know, their first pick last year in the second round. Small dude, small frame. Uh, I mean, maybe guys in Atlanta know him well. He played at Louisville, so over yep. there on the East Coast. But uh, we've talked a lot about him throughout training camp because he's shown a lot of growth in his route tree, his route running, his, his catching ability has gotten better. Um, he's healthy, but didn't see him used at all in that week one matchup. So I think he's a guy that really – we can see maybe open things up if Matthew Stafford has enough time, that is, but can open things up and maybe because they didn't, you know, they didn't push the ball down the field much at all against the Bills. And he's a guy that they drafted specifically for that reason. So if you want to see some pressure taken off Stafford and Cup, Tutu Atwell is a guy that, you know, wide receiver four, wide receiver five even, but is a guy that could really make two or three impact plays that can benefit the offense. So I'll go with those kind of two guys that probably don't, don't not a lot of shine, but they could actually have an effect on this game. Yeah. I remember T2 Atwell uh, from the drafts class last year. Yeah. Obviously Louisville, he is tiny. <laughs> you yeah. mentioned that he's tiny dude. He's, he's like a little road runner out there. Yeah. How, um, how big are you? What's your, what's your height? What uh, measurables? We want to talk measurables. Yeah. Uh, We're talking six, measurables. Two. Kill the tape. Six oh, two. You're, okay. Although you're six I, two. I've you're, been, I've been told by everybody that I met post post COVID, you know, only online when I've met them in person, Ovi included Ovi Mihaly, my uh, show partner. First thing he said was like, you're tall. 
Uh, you're taller <laughs> than I thought. So I give off like, you know, short King energy, I guess, over the microphone. But no, I'm tall, everybody. <laughs> okay. Well, there you go. Well, I am not. So I'm Tutu Atwell's size. I'm about 5'7". So that, that, oh, there you that go. tells you all you need to know. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, <laughs> <laughs> what part of this matchup do you think either the Rams coaching staff is worried about or that you think, you know, they should be worried about? I mean, I think that you kind of mentioned it earlier, but the Atlanta's front seven, how they looked, you know, fairly suitable and fairly formidable against, uh, mm-hmm. against New Orleans. I think when I was looking at the schedule and cause that's been, you know, a concern all off season is how is this offensive line going to react after the departures from last season and the injuries and whatnot. And so I looked at the schedule and I was like, okay, well week two, you know, should be okay against that. And now seeing some of those guys play, it's like, well, it doesn't get easier. I mean, you go from the bills to what you thought was going to be an easier matchup. No, no disrespect intended, but, uh, and it, it may not. So I think that's really what I'm going to look to if, if, if you're the coaching staff of the Rams and you want to have success in this game, I mean, you're going to have to give staff for time. The offensive line is going to have to play better than it did last week. And so that's definitely, I think, what's keeping Sean McVay and others up. And what Sean McVay will have to do in his play calling, because if it's not going well, it's going to be up to him to adjust and do things differently because you can't just, you can't just pull a starting left tackle or a starting right guard out of, you know, out of the stands. So they're, they're stuck with who they got at least for this w- another week. And so it's going to be up to him in the play calling to really kind of neutralize some of that pass rest, neutralize some of those backers and, and be able to kind of create some open space and some throwing lanes for Stafford and get the ball out of his hands quickly. So that's really, I think what their biggest concern would be about facing this Falcons team and what they're going to really have to address on Sunday. Historically, because I know every single year is, is a little bit of a different team. And so it's, you know, hard to kind of compare what I'm about to ask you year over year. But last year, how good were the Rams at kind of overcoming setbacks offensively? And how good have McVay's offenses been, you know, when you get a, you know, it's second and three and then you get a false start. Now, all of a sudden it's second and and 13, you know, like how good are they generally with Matthew Stafford and Sean McVay together at kind of keeping offensive drives going in the face of adversity? That's a really good question. It's, it's, it's interesting, Will, because I feel like it's game by game. It, you can't really all mm. even look at the entire era. Like there's, and that's probably one hundred percent true. By the way, <laughs> it probably is yeah. game by game. Yeah, I mean that's a cop out answer, obviously, but <laughs> um, but you watch certain games of this team, and it's like if they if they struggle early in adversity, I mean, game over, chalk it up. I mean, I remember mm. talking talking about the Tennessee game. I was at that game, and you know they they fall down early with a with a pick six a Matt Stafford pick six and since that point it's like the offense could do nothing like any <laughs> adversity at all it was either a turnover or a punt they couldn't like get out of their own way and then games when things are going right it's just like it's clicking on all cylinders so they don't do well i'll say in adversity in game situations now they've they've done well in season to make adjustments and obviously like i mentioned last year going over in november and then winning the super bowl that shows you the type of coaching and the type of adjustments and the type of talent this team has but when they hit those roadblocks in the game it seems like they just can't get out of their own way and I, and maybe that's something that I talked a lot on my show last year about, you know, Matthew Stafford, whether you agree with this or not, this is just my opinion, as great as a quarterback as I think he is and many think he is, in Detroit, he had to really play hero ball a lot because of what the organization gave him because of situations he was in. And so it forced him to force things, to take on that hero mentality. And last year in LA, we saw him do that a lot when he didn't have to, because he's got the talent around him. He's got the defense to back him up. He had the receivers, Mm -hmm. he had the running back. And so hopefully this year now we'll see that improve where if they do hit that adversity, he's like, you know what? I just need to do my job, hit Cooper cup 10 times out of 11 and we'll be okay. Like that's all I need to do. And we saw that in the Super Bowl, right? We saw that against the Niners. They dropped down 10 points, the Niners in the NFC championship game. He stayed calm. They came back. We saw them have some adversity in the Super Bowl. They fall down. They lose Odo Beckham Jr. They're losing the game. They have that game-winning drive. So I think we saw that improve, but it definitely your question was game by game during the season, but hopefully now we'll see them kind of the maturation of Stafford within this offense, within this scheme of being able to you know, set aside those little those small roadblocks on second and three false starts and, and kind of improve play by play instead of game by game. Yeah, learn to kind of play within the offense a little bit more and and facilitate when needed. Um, mm-hmm. That all makes perfect sense. Honestly, the reason that I asked that question is because I the main note that I kind of wrote watching the Falcon Saints game for the first time 
I think Atlanta's offense is really beautiful and really, really difficult to defend when it is in momentum, when it is in sync and on schedule. When things are flowing, it's it's like Arthur Smith can kind of dial up anything and have it work. But I just noticed that the few times, and this is probably true of most teams not named like the Chiefs or, mm. you know, maybe Arizona or some of the more explosive teams around the league. But when you have to march down the field and put together a 12 to 14 play drive to score, which I think Atlanta has to do because of the limitations of some of the explosive, you know, skill players that they they have. But maybe the quarterback is like, it's just not all there yet. I don't know if Atlanta is good enough to overcome the the second down run that gets stuffed in the backfield for a two yard loss. I don't know if they're mm-hmm. good enough to overcome, you know, a first down play that gets no yards. Right. So for that reason, and and this is my lead into kind of asking how you think your final thoughts on how this game could go. My prediction is that this is going to be a little bit of a, an ugly kind of defensive slog a little bit, maybe like what we saw against the bills, but instead of the bills, you know, looking like a playoff team and, and just putting up 31 points anyway, like this could be a 20 to 16 game and just, mm-hmm. you know, not necessarily the prettiest football, but great defensive football and, you know, whichever team can kind of make that play. Now, having said that, it could be 28 to 32 and, and be an offensive shootout. But I just kind of think that the defenses right now, based on what we saw in week one, have the advantage in my mind. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I don't necessarily disagree with that. I do think, and again, the injuries hurt on the Rams offensive line, but I do think we'll see the Rams offense really put together a much better game. It's kind of like one of those... You know, you feel bad after you get a, a beat out of that for the next opponent because John McVay, Matt, they're going to dial things up. They're going to they had much longer time to repair having the early Thursday game. True. So, um, yeah, I don't disagree with you, but I also think, I mean, I think the Rams could win this one fairly big as well, just because of what ha- how bad they were week one and having to come out and prove themselves and and kind of leave it all out there and be like, look, we are still the champs or the defending champs, and this is why. And we just had a really poor week one performance, but we're we're back and we're here to stay. So, but we'll see. It's going to be interesting. This is this is what's always so hard. It's almost like week two is secretly harder than week one if mm-hmm. you're if you're trying to cover a team because you've only had one taste. But you guys played the Bills. The Bills are a very popular pick to to win the Super Bowl this year, and they looked mm-hmm. like a team that could easily win the Super Bowl this year. Yep. Y'all may bounce back and absolutely crush Atlanta. 35 to 17 and we'll say, all right, you know, they lost to the bills. Matthew Stafford had four picks. Like it happens on the flip side. Atlanta looked easily like the best team for two and a half quarters against new Orleans and Mm -hmm. lost in a way that's outside of Atlanta, not easy to replicate. Um, but they may turn around and, and I would not be totally shocked if Atlanta beats LA on the road. And now we're sitting here being like, did we underestimate? Like they did some real things Mm -hmm. in the trenches going back and rewatching that Saints game that yes, everybody and you know, on this podcast included our first takeaway was how are we doing this again? Why is this always happening in Atlanta? What is wrong? Something's fundamentally broken here. I'm starting to think that's not the case because they really, really did some very good football things at a core level. Mm -hmm. So I think that this game actually is going to be surprising to a casual NFL fan who doesn't have really much invested in either of these two teams because the Rams looked a little sloppy on Thursday night football and the Falcons aren't expected to do much of anything and ended up losing in week one, but I could see this being a great game. So Ryan, do you have any final thoughts on the matchup before I let you get out of here? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, I agree. I'm, I'm bummed. I was supposed to be at the game. Uh, I had plans to go and now I have to travel. Uh, so I'll actually, I'll actually be on a plane coming back to LA during the game, unfortunately, Damn. but, uh, yeah, it's gonna be a fun one. I think, um, would not be shocked at all if it's closed, close. Um, but I'll, I'll stick with my original thought, which a few days ago, which I think the Rams end up winning this one, like thirty-one to fourteen or something like that. And that uh, sounds shade. That sounds like I'm throwing shade. So you think the no spread respect. is correct. You you would you would you would take the Rams. I think it's like what minus eleven was what it opened. Oh wow! Did, did they open it that much? I hate yeah, when they do I'm that. Like, it's like that the biggest, me... the biggest line of the weekend. Is, oh wow! Is... I didn't even look at that, but but yeah, I'll stick with. I think they, I think they win by two, two touchdowns. So I, I think Allen Robinson has five catches for eighty yards and a touchdown. Cooper yep. Cup is still Cooper Cup. Uh, I think Cam Akers gets going a little bit more. So you know, I think it, it has definitely the makings of a fun, exciting game. But I think the Rams' offense will will show up in twenty twenty two finally, and and we'll kind of see it on display. But it should be a fun one. 
it would not shock me if Allen Robinson has a big game. Um, definitely, I'm, I'm surprised AJ Terrell struggled a little bit in his first game, so I'm really curious to see what he looks like with Cooper Cup and how they even try to defend Cooper Cup, frankly, because mm-hmm. he's kind of in defense, but like, I, I have no idea what to do with that guy. Um, but maybe they take a Patriots approach and they're like, Cooper Cup, go for 300 yards and three touchdowns and we're going to win 24-21. Um, yep. So I, I think I think the Falcons will keep it close. I would, if I was a betting man, I'm not bet online though. Great partners. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I would go, probably, nice. I'd probably put my money on the Falcons because I think it will be, again, surprisingly close. Uh, I'm going to just, for the sake of putting a number, 28-24 LA. But there you go. I think it'll be a good game. Um, Ryan Dirud, thank you so much for taking the time to uh, come on and break down the matchup. Once again, everybody can find him on the LA football show. So anybody want any more coverage of the Rams and the lead up to this game, please go check out Ryan's show and all the great stuff that he does. Ryan, thanks again, man. Hey, appreciate you. Thanks for having me on. I'm, I, I doubt Falcons fans want to hear much about the Rams, but we do cover USC. So any Drake London fans and you want to hear more about the Trojans, we got you covered there too. But thanks for having me on, man. Best of luck and uh, we'll do this again soon. Appreciate it. Thank you all for listening to today's show, which as always is presented by Bet Online. I really think that the Falcons are going to surprise people again this week. Not saying they're going to win. I think the Rams are, you know, a really good team for a reason but could be a lot closer than people think. So hopefully we have another exciting week of recapping, previewing everything ahead of us. The most fun part of last season, honestly, to me was the fact that the Falcons just kind of stayed relevant all year long. And after their first game against New Orleans, again, I know it was a loss, but I'm kind of confident that they can stay relevant again, which means that we've got hopefully another football season ahead that matters somewhat. I know we all expect 2023 to really be the year. Again, this is a year of answers, but if they can kind of keep it interesting and make it fun like they did last year, we're all going to benefit from it, right? So please tell everybody where they can find us to follow along with us throughout this journey of a season. Um, Please stay tuned on Sunday evening after the Falcons-Rams game. Ovi and I will hit the mics and look out for that feed early Monday morning. Um, So heading to work, fire it up and get our thoughts on what hopefully is another great game for the Falcons. But if it's not, we'll be there too. So everybody have a great weekend. We will see you bright and early Monday morning. And as always, take care. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.